It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. And welcome, everyone, back to BAMS Radio uh, as we are about to review Alabama's 24-10 to win over the Bayou Bengals of LSU in Bryant-Denny Stadium. Uh, they won their seventh straight over their rivals uh, from uh, the Pelican State. As uh, Ed Ogeron now 0-2 against Nick Saban, Alabama you know, now 9-0 and as they get ready to head to Starkville, Mississippi. We'll also talk about their upcoming road trip to 8-2. and Mississippi State ranked in the top 15 in the college football playoff rankings. And as always, I'm joined by my co-host and producer, Thomas Watts, the wizard behind the curtain here at BAMS Radio. Also, former Alabama offensive lineman, 1992 national champion, William Redfish Barger, who is uh, one of the you know premier insiders when it comes to having his ear to the ground toward Alabama football. And uh, we'll talk with William, and he is now here with us. He's going to be our third amigo, as always, tonight on BAMS Radio. William, uh, Welcome back. Uh, how are you doing this evening? Here I'm doing great. Got some great fall weather to enjoy for, uh, you know, this coming weekend. And, uh, you know, I think it's going to be an interesting ball game over in Starkville. It, it really will. And uh, to, to kind of go back and but to first take a look at LSU, uh, it was a typical Alabama LSU fist fight, William. In a lot of ways, it was almost like a microcosm of last year, though Alabama was able to score more points. Uh, they put 24 points on the board. Uh, LSU probably played one of their better games of the year. I thought Dave Aranda once again had a really good game plan to kind of slow Alabama offensively. And then we saw, uh, or excuse me, defensively, pardon me. And then offensively, I thought Matt Canada uh, did a really good job at kind of moving the pocket and, uh, and keeping Alabama at bay. Danny Etling, he did miss on a couple deep opportunities, but I thought for most of the game he was pretty solid and had one of his better football games. Uh, and, and then Darius Geis, they held him under 100 yards, uh, 71 to, uh, yards on 19 carries. But then we also saw them get one explosive run uh, with Darrell Williams that led to their only points. And the only reason that is concerning is because, William, I, you know, I've been following Alabama football a long time. And it probably I have to go back to your playing days when I've seen this many injuries on one side of the football in, that, in those days, back in 1990, the offense was decimated by injuries over the first few weeks of the season. But this is amazing what's happened to this linebacker court, Alabama. Yeah, it is. And, I, you know, I think that's, uh, you know, for anybody that's looking for answers, um, you know, especially when it comes to recruiting, uh, now everybody knows why Nick Saban, you know, signs, you know, six or seven linebackers every year. Um, you know, A, because, you know, two or three of them end up, you know, growing into, you know, defensive ends. Um, but also, um, you know, I think it's a – you know, when you play a base 3-4 defense, um, you've got four linebacker spots that you have to, you know, keep stockpiled with talent. Um, but, but, yeah, it is. I mean, it's, uh, you know, if you go back to the Florida State game, you had, you know, Christian Miller and um, Terrell Lewis and, you know, even the, the injury that Rashawn Evans suffered. Um, you know, and then against, you know, Saturday nights, you had, you know, Sean Dion Hamilton and Mac Wilson both go down. And, and, you know, 
uh, Terrell, uh, I mean, not Terrell Hall, but uh, Anthony Jennings got dinged up as well. So, um, you know, especially when you play, uh, you know, a team like LSU, and, and those, those teams are, you know, getting, you know, fewer and far between, where you have to run base as much as you do. Um, you know, where, where, you know, both the Sam and the Jack linebackers have to be on the field more than they normally are. You know, it just creates more opportunities for people to get hurt. And I, I do agree. I mean, I, I think it was a very physical game. Um, you know, LSU came, you know, very motivated. I think they had a good game plan on both sides of the ball. Um, you know, I think if they had a another quarterback besides Danny Etling, it could have, you know, been a much different scoreboard uh, than what you saw, um, you know, at the end of the game. Um, you know, certainly with Minka Fitzpatrick getting hurt, um, you know, there were a lot of wide receivers, you know, running open, Drew, in that game Saturday night for LSU. And, you know, fortunately for, you know, Jeremy Pruitt and the Alabama defense, you know, LSU's just got a, you know, a quarterback that struggles with accuracy and consistency, and they weren't able to hook up. But, um, you know, again, you know, my take on that game was um, the offense was able to produce 14 more points uh, against a very aggressive and schematically sound uh, defensive game plan versus Dave Aranda than they were last year. Uh, you know, on the other side of the football, they were able to, you know, minimalize to a certain extent LSU's running game. I don't think anybody's ever really concerned about their, their passing game. Um, but, you know, it was, a, it was a slobber knocker. It was, a, you know, a, a great college football game. And, uh, you know, what you really have to hope for is, you know, there's not a huge hangover um, that drags over into Saturday and starts. Yeah, and, I mean, you don't want to have a hangover. And then I guess the one the one concerning thing for me, besides the defensive injuries, was, you know, I thought Jalen Hurts played a pretty solid game, but it, it still was a little bit bothersome, only because I know how tough these next few games are going to be. That I, I thought Alabama left some plays out on the field. I thought, uh, you know, they had Hale Hinchis early, I felt like, for a big play. And even Jalen Hurts admitted to his brother on a great piece written by Matt Zien. It's available.com, by the way. He interviewed Avery on Hurts, uh, his brother, who had just finished his career last year at Texas Southern as the quarterback. Who They kind of go back and forth, and he critiques Jalen's game so when he's there. They were there, of course, in person uh, for the LSU game. And he uh, felt like that, uh, you know, that uh, Jalen told him, he said, man, I got too excited and I didn't put the touch on that throw I should have, and I, and I left that play out there. And then, of course, some of it wasn't his fault from the standpoint of Alabama's got to catch the football. I thought it was Devontae Smith's worst game. We know he's a talented player and has a bright future, but he had a couple of big drops. There was a you know a throw in the corner of the end zone he didn't really adjust well to. It was, pretty well, it was a well-thrown ball by Jalen, uh, and then one on a slant as well. Uh, but I also think they missed Ridley a couple of times open. I mean, that happens. Uh, but I just think overall, that was the one, I guess, frustrating thing for me because uh, I know everybody's complained about the uh, the play up front, and it, it has to improve as well on the offensive line. But, you know, they they they, loaded, they put eight guys in the box, and I think that was a big reason why the running game uh, didn't work because, as you know, William, uh, to the 2012 O-line was dominant. They could, even, they could run the ball. Uh, and you even brought up earlier, uh, in, uh, in, not in, in earlier this week, I thought you made a great point about the 2008 team as well, as physical as they were up front. I don't think this offensive line is in the, the, of, the, of the caliber of those two. So they had trouble uh, running the football. And from this point forward, 
they're really going to have to, you know, when there's plays to be made out there vertically, they're going to have to do it because I think that's going to be the key to this thing. I think they're, they're going to be able to run the football better going forward, but they have to take advantage of those opportunities, and that goes with protection, throwing and catching, and uh, just uh, the, the entirety of the passing game. Yeah, I agree. Um, you know, and, and I get tickled because, you know, everybody kind of looks to that 2012 offensive line as the gold standard. Um, you know, in, in a lot of ways, you know, especially from from a talent standpoint, um, you know, it, it's 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 something that will probably never you know be replicated again. When you look at the fact that they had four guys off of that offensive line that that have become NFL starters, and, and even a backup in Ari Quanjo that started some games uh, for the Washington Redskins, and, and you know, ironically enough. Uh, you know, the, the, the most heavily decorated offensive lineman off of that, that 2012 O-line, Barrett Jones, was the only starter that never started an NFL game. Uh, for me, uh, the, the best run-blocking offensive line that I've seen at Alabama, um, going back to, I'm trying to think when I became an offensive, I mean an Alabama football fan, uh, maybe around 88 or 89, um, was the 2008 offensive line. Um, you know, Jim McElwain uh, on third, I'm not talking about on third and two, I'm talking about on third and five, third and six, third and seven sometimes, would dial up slant 36 to Glenn Coffey, you know, behind Travis McCall, Andre Smith, Mike Johnson, and Antoine Caldwell. And everybody in the stadium knew it was coming. Uh, the defense knew it was coming. They would put eight men in the box. And they picked the first down up. And, you know, I've seen so much, you know, vitriol on the Internet this week. And it's, it's you know, people that are trying to blame, uh, you know, Jalen Hurts for, for the offensive inadequacies. But, you know, th- this is football 101. You know, it never is um, unless it's an empty backfield uh, with five wide receivers. There, there never is a situation where there's only five offensive linemen or excuse me, let me, let me take, that, take that back, where there's only five blockers trying to block uh, eight defenders. Uh, there's a lot, of, you know, going even all the way back to uh, 2012, um, you know, I can show you, uh, you know, in the national championship game against Notre Dame, where Mike Williams was at tight end, there's six, and Kelly Johnston was at H-back, there's seven. So it's seven on eight, and, you know, on any running play, the running back is expected and asked to make one person miss. So it's, it's eight on eight, basically. And, you know, it's the same case Saturday night. Um, now, you know, what, 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 how things work from an offensive philosophy standpoint, when they do that, when they, when they load the box and they run corner blitzes and they run safety fires, um, you know, the, the, you know, the, the thinking is, uh, the middle of the field is open for tight end seam passes, for quick slants. You know, the pass that Jalen missed the first time around to Calvin Ridley. And obviously, you know, somebody in the box saw it and, you know, got word to Dayball to run the exact same play um, on the next play. And, you know, Jalen connected with Calvin. But, you know, they do have to get better with that. But, you know, Drew, it, it's no different than a field goal or an extra point. Um, you know, for, for a kick to be successful. You know, the snapper has to make a good snap, the holder has to make a good hold, and the kicker has to make a solid kick. It's no different than that on a pass play. 
you know, the O-line has to protect, the quarterback has to make a throw that's catchable, and the receiver has to catch it. Um, I, I guess I've got a little bit different take, um, you know, than you do on that LSU game. Um, you know, I thought they scored 14 more points against basically the same game plan that Dave Aranda drew up last year where they only scored 10. And really the the seventh of that 10 was a, a play basically that Hurts made by himself with his feet. Um, you know, against what a lot of people consider, um, you know, the best pass-covering team in college football in LSU. So, you know, I, I thought there were some positive steps made. Um, I was really more surprised at how um, the, the offensive line struggled to, um, you know, open up holes in the running game. You know, I don't ever – I'm not ever going to fault, you know, Jonah Williams or Matt Womack for struggling to block an edge rusher like Arden Key. That's a top ten draft pick right there. You know, that's going to happen. Um, but, but, you know, the, the, the offensive line has to get better – um, especially, in my opinion, from left guard to right guard, um, in, in both run blocking and picking up, you know, um, blitzes and stunts and, and pass pro. You know, in my opinion, if somebody is looking for, and I think the LSU game, um, you know, proved a lot of people wrong. Uh, you saw Jalen Hurts make several passes, even though the statistics weren't there. Um, his passing percentage wasn't that great. But, you saw him throw the ball into tight windows. Um, you saw him make plays on third down when he had a clean pocket to operate out of. But to me, I, I think the, the thing that has to improve uh, moving forward is the play of that offensive line. And going back to what I, you know, when you first asked me this question, and this is something I think everybody needs to pay attention to and, and figure out, um, you know, where this 2017 offensive line is at from a talent standpoint and also a production standpoint, if that 2012 offensive line that everybody keeps talking about had four starters on it that ended up being NFL starters, um, I would challenge somebody to, you know, debate me on the fact that, in my opinion, in my evaluation, this, this year's offensive line has two guys on it, and that's it that have a chance to start in the NFL one day, and that's Jonah Williams and Bradley Bozer. Yeah, I mean, there's no question. I don't. It's not as talented a group, uh, and I think that has something to do with it. Uh, you know, William, the, the only thing I have said differently than you, and, and people take it as the slight on Jalen Hurts, and, and trust me, that's not what I'm trying to do. Uh, I, I think Jalen Hurts has earned this starting quarterback job, Everybody knows what I'm going into last year, and I've been ridiculed and ripped for it. And of course, I and I and I owned it. I thought you know Blake Barnett could be the starting quarterback at Alabama. It took a while. I mean, he was t- terrible last spring, and I and I really was starting to doubt it. And then he came back for the fall, and I thought maybe he could mature and and, and fight and win the position because I was you know I thought Cooper Bavin would start the season, but I thought that Barnett had a chance to beat him out. I didn't buy the fact that Coach Saban would play a true freshman quarterback. But the more I saw Jalen Hurts, and I remember you, you know, quickly when he got there in the spring, warming to Hurts and then into the fall, just saying that, you know, he's making plays with the twos and the threes against this defense. And 
You know, it took me, you know, until the USC game, until I saw live game action to realize that, you know, Jalen Hurts was the best quarterback on that football team. It really didn't matter about, you know, how old he was. He was a playmaker. He was better than Cooper Bateman, Barnett, you know, David Cornwell, all those guys. And, uh, you know, this year, you know, what, what I've seen, and I thought Jalen was still the unquestioned starter on the team. Even when, you know, Tua Tungavailoa had a good spring uh, and came out in the fall and, and, and did well in the scrimmages as well. I kept thinking, you know, this is Jalen Hurts' team, and it still is. But my whole point has been I just felt like that Jalen, that, 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 that Jalen Hurts, while he's played well, that, uh, that Tua Tungavailoa, it's more about how, that I think Tua has played well in addition, and I felt like he could add something to the offense. I felt like, you know, we've seen, and I know it's different when you're playing when the game's, you know, not on the line. I could, that, that's the one thing we don't know about, uh, you know, Tua Tungavailoa that we know about Jalen. He's, he's taking big hits. He's brought his team back uh, down 24-3 to at Ole Miss and uh, in one big games. He was in that fist fight you talked about with LSU. That was nothing-nothing into the fourth quarter, and he made a play in that game, made a play to bring him back in the national championship game. But my whole point was I just felt like it was more that I thought Tua deserved to play too because he could, you know, bring an, a passing element to the offense. And I know you said last week you felt like uh, that uh, that if, if you played both of them, they would almost be unstoppable because of what both could bring to the table. And that's all that, – that's what I've, – I've taken some heat on social media for saying some things after the LSU game. It wasn't so much that I was taking shots at Jalen. I just feel like that Tua could bring something to the offense, and that's what I was – the point I was making. And I felt like – Sometimes even Tua could help the offensive line because I th- because of his quick release. Because Jalen does a great job of taking care of the football, but I just felt like at times that he held on to the football too long, and that it maybe and that he took a sack, and then eventually, uh, you know, you don't want to see Jalen get injured either. And I mean, because he hasn't taken a lot of shots, but he has taken some hits, and you you want him to stay healthy, especially down this stretch because they're going to be in a lot of hectic environments, and they're going to need Jalen Hurts because. He's the guy that has been through the fire before. Drew, I, I totally agree with the premise of, uh, you know, your argument. Um, and, you know, we talked about this privately, you know, on the private board that we're both on. Um, and I totally agree with you. I do think that uh, Tua Tungalaboa could, could add a, an element to this offense that would make it absolutely unstoppable. Um, for opposing defensive coordinators and defenses. Um, basically the same recipe that you saw versus Tennessee. Um, you know, especially when you've got, you know, a team on the ropes like that. They, you know, uh, you know, Tennessee was, you know, not having a good year. And, you know, they, they probably once, you know, we got up 28 to nothing. Um, they had quit and laid down. And, but, you know, the, the way I've, I've you know, and I, we, we talked about this last week, um, you know, I would love for Nick Saban to walk into Brian Dayball's office and say, you know, I thought the off week versus LSU was probably the second best time for this conversation to take place. Now, if they can get through the rest of the regular season schedule and, and the SEC championship game, this is going to be the best time for it to happen. Um, to, to possibly unleash it on, on the playoffs because you've got that 30-day period there where you can, um, you know, scheme and practice. But, you know, I would love for Nick Saban to walk into Brian Dayball's office and say, you know what, we're fixing to ruin everybody in, in the college football world. I want you to design an offense for both quarterbacks. And I think, 
you know, my take on the both of them are, um, obviously, you know, look, I, I'm, I've been called a Jalen Hurts ball washer for two years. And, you know, I'm proud of that. Uh, you know, the kids, uh, I would invite him into my foxhole and I'd walk down a dark alley with him anytime he wanted to go with me. But, you know, I, I see the same things that you do out of Tua. He is a much more exper- uh, 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 talented passer. Um, he throws people open versus Jalen wanting to see the, the the big picture where it's where he's wide open, and I think that's probably more um, a negative on how he's been coached uh, to not make mistakes and and make sure you're making the right decision. And you know certainly that's a an admirable quality to have. But I think if they would do it. Um, it would be one of the most dynamic offensive attacks that you've ever seen in college football just because, you know, Tua is obviously the the more instinctive passer. Um, You know, Jalen is more battle-proven. He's the better runner. But, you know, Tua's a pretty softy runner himself. He's a different runner. Um, You know, he's he's obviously not as big and strong as Jalen is, but he's not a liability back there in the pocket by any means. And I thought it was, you know, I laughed right out loud um, at that one play um, where Jalen, not rolled, but he dropped back and got some pressure from the the defensive end coming from Jonah Williams' side of the ball. And you saw him do that damn Tua spin move against LSU. I'm like, well, he's he's plagiarizing uh, Tua's escape techniques. Um, But, you know, Drew, the the way I've, I've kind of, I guess, uh, had to rationalize the whole thing and, and settle into, you know, I guess a source of contentment is this, is that I spent the better part of two years and had multiple coaches on Alabama staff tell me uh, that his arms were too short, um, that he wasn't ready to play. And looking back on it now, you know, one guy's on the Alabama staff. The other guy was a second-round draft pick last year by the Washington Redskins. But I spent two years damn near wanting to swallow a, a forty caliber pistol barrel over Denzel Duvall playing over Ryan Anderson. And you saw how well that worked out for me. And, you know, I think at least for this season, you know, barring an injury or a complete meltdown, and I think, you know, at this point in time, you have to rule out, you know, that Jalen's going to make a, a game-changing bad play um, against whoever they play. Um, you know, you could see some inconsistencies in his accuracy and, and, and completions, but I just don't see what you and I hope to happen happening this year. Um, there's probably a better chance of it developing in the spring and fall camp next year. But, you know, we both are on the same page with what we want to see happen and what we think could be, um, you know, the best thing for the Alabama offense to allow it to, you know, live up to its full potential. But at the same time, you know, I'm not going to get on the radio or the internet and bitch and complain about it because I've seen Nick Saban, um, you know, make this decision over and over again throughout the course of his career. Um, it's probably just not in the works and I'm not going to spend a lot of time worrying about it. You know, it is going to take a, you know, an absolute meltdown in my opinion. You saw it against LSU. I mean, I thought with what Tua did in the second half and I, and I do think after having a chance to kind of analyze it and, and, you know, think about it, 
I do think that him throwing that pick six um, against Tennessee probably caused Nick Saban to have, you know, second thoughts about putting him into a game um, that still was not out of hand. Now, we'll have to see how that plays out throughout the rest of the season. But at the end of the day, Drew, I still say, um, you know, he's gotten more – I'm talking about Tua – he's gotten more reps as the backup quarterback than A.J. McCarron did, you know, in, what, two years of backing up Greg McElroy. You know, and I understand. You know, I think the coaching staff sees the fact that he is probably the more gifted passer. Um, But, you know, the thing to me is, um, you know, if Jalen continues to improve, and it's it's not rapid improvement, it's baby steps. Um, But, you know, you know, we're probably looking at a legit quarterback battle, um, you know, in, in March and April of this year, for sure, you know, in fall camp. Uh, but, you know, th- that's something that I'm glad. And I think somebody like Nick Saban, you know, needs to be paid $11 million to, to make that decision about who's the best guy to pull the trigger, um, you know, going forward into the 2018 season. I'm glad I'm not the guy that has to make the decision. Well, the one thing that I do think we also agree on, too, is um, to Jalen's credit, and I've said this, I've said he has the toughness, uh, you know, the 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 moxie, uh, the leadership ability, uh, you know, just he, he has all those intangible things. Uh, and I think it, to his credit, he's fostered an outstanding uh, locker room with the quarterbacks. You made a, a point of. Uh, that uh, last year what may have also hurt the team besides Lane Kiffin going off the reservation was uh, once Jalen beat out the veterans, there was kind of, you know, a a wall put up between the veterans and Jalen. Jalen has not done the same with these two young quarterbacks uh, in Tua Tungvaloa and Mac Jones. No, he hasn't. And, you know, I I think that's a, uh, you know, a credit to, you know, Brian Dayball. You know, I think it's a credit to Jalen. And, and Tua and Mac Jones. Um, you know, look, I mean, we're, we're sitting here talking about, you know, the top two guys. Um, I, you know, I, I can remember some times during the uh, the dark days of what I like to call the Mike years, you know, when we went on a 10-year walk in the woods, um, where, where Mac Jones would have been the most talented quarterback on campus, and he's the third-team guy. And, you know, we're sitting here, we haven't talked about it yet, but we probably will. Um, you, you've got somebody that I don't think he's a five-star quarterback, but a lot of other people do. You know, you've got a guy like Emory Jones that sounds like he's ready to sign up and join the uh, the group. Um, to me, I think that's the you know the unique thing about this 2017 team, and we can talk about it on the other side of the football. I mean, I've I don't know how many times I've been interviewed this week on the radio, but I keep saying the same thing over and over again. Um, you know, people asking me about the, the losses at linebacker, and I keep saying the same thing. You know, to me, as long as 32 and 29 are out there and fully healthy, um, I think the defense is going to be okay. But, you know, that, that, that locker room and the, you know, no egos and unselfishness um, that you see, because, you know, there is no – if you're pissed off and you're sour and you've got a case of the red ass on the sideline, whether, you know, it's Jalen Hurts coming out there to celebrate with Tua Tungvaloa or it's, you know, Jay, uh, uh, Tua Tungvaloa coming out there to celebrate with Jalen Hurts, 
you, you can't fake that kind of emotion um, and, and respect to celebrate with the other guy unless it's genuine. Um, I've been there before. You know, I, I was a starter uh, at one time, and I was a backup later on uh, to nobody's fault but my own. And I can assure you, I didn't come running off the bench to celebrate with the guy that beat me out. So I think that's one of the most unique things I've seen this year in college football is how Jalen and Tua Tungavailoa have a better relationship with each other and more respect for each other than the Alabama fan base, at least a certain percentage of them does with the, the quarterback dynamic on this team. Very, very well said, William, no doubt about that. Uh, we also have, uh, before we continue to kind of look back at LSU and talk about Alabama's defense and where they're going to go, uh, we do have some breaking news. Uh, we talked about this a little bit before the show started, uh, before we began our recording, but Colin Sexton, as I have felt like, will be on the floor, not against Memphis. Greg Byrne releasing a statement just a few minutes ago uh, that uh, that Colin Sexton will be eligible uh, but he will say he will face a one-game suspension for violating NCAA rules. Uh, he will, uh, you know, he will not be on the floor for the game against Memphis. But uh, what Greg Byrne has said is that Colin Sexton uh, will be eligible. His, the statement reads: Colin Sexton will sit out of Friday's season opener against Memphis to serve a one-game suspension for a violation of NCAA rules. He will be eligible for competition in the team's home opener on Tuesday versus Lipscomb. We appreciate the NCAA's efforts to reach a timely resolution of his eligibility. So you can buckle up, everybody. The young bull will be in the starting lineup and putting on a show against Lipscomb on November the 14th on a Tuesday. Uh, I I have another uh, commitment, so I I don't think I'll be in attendance, unfortunately. Bill Searcy is coming to speak at the North Alabama Tide Fans Group. I've helped put that together. I kind of wish somehow we could have a – some sort of power outage or something where Alabama could uh, postpone it till Wednesday. But unfortunately I won't be there, but Colin Sexton will be on the floor for the university of Alabama. And as I said, I felt like it would be sooner rather than later if it wasn't against Memphis. And it turns out he will, that will be the only regular season game. Hopefully that Colin Sexton misses as he will be in the lineup, William. And that's a huge boon uh, for Avery Johnson. Now, tell everybody what I told you before we came on the air about that. Yeah, yeah absolutely, William. Uh, you're right. I mean, uh, you, you, uh, you, had, you felt like uh, that uh, he was going to be, you know, on the floor for the University of Alabama, uh, that, uh, that uh, you know, this was – that you have, a, you know, an outstanding source uh, at the university uh, when it comes to those compliance matters, and, and uh, he was right. I mean, uh, that Colin Sexton was going to be on the floor – uh, sooner rather than later, and that they felt like uh, that he that uh, it was going to be a situation that the university had handled. Thanksgiving was going to be the worst case scenario. Right, Thanksgiving uh, was going to be the worst case scenario. And, and you know, Drew, you know, I think you're know, talking about the Sexton situation, and you know, let, let's don't be naive here. I mean, uh, you know, we all know how you know dirty college football recruiting is. Number one, and college basketball recruiting. Uh, it's even worse. Times worse than that, yeah. And uh, you know, I, I think that you know Alabama does a great job. You know, when you've seen you know some of the scandals that have popped up, you know, with the the Tom Albatar, Keytown Menswear deal, 
um, you know, the, the strength and conditioning coach that made the loan to high Clinton Dix. You know, their compliance department does a great job, um, you know, in vetting problems and getting to the core issues, um, you know, what's facts and what's speculation and rumor and innuendo. Um, and, again, I think that, you know, any school that, that recruits at a high level, whether it's Alabama, Auburn, Memphis, Kentucky, whoever, let's throw Duke into the mix because Coach Case uh, just hasn't been caught yet. He's as dirty as they come. Um, the, 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 the way that Alabama goes about executing their, their compliance issues, um, in my opinion, for, for all sports, is at the top of the totem pole in big-time college athletics. And, you know, that, that's an ugly situation. Um, I know a lot of people are, are celebrating, you know, what's going on at Auburn, especially Alabama fans with, you know, the Chuck Person, Bruce Pearl, um, you know, deal down there. But, you know, I, I just – I never really take a lot of, um, I guess – glory or happiness into, you know, one school's misery. Now, I tell all my friends this all the time, you know, Alabama fans, that when something bad happens at Auburn, you know, I, I get all these texts and phone calls with people celebrating, and I'm like, whoa, whoa, hold on, hold up a second. Because, um, you know, this is a proven fact. Nine times out of ten, if something bad happens to Auburn football, within two weeks, you know, the same thing goes down in Tuscaloosa. And, uh, you know, I, I just, you know, these are kids. Um, you know, a lot of them don't have, you know, the best decision makers surrounding them in their camp with, with influencers, uh, mentors, parents, whatever. You know, but, but I think in, in this whole college basketball scandal that's going on, um, you know, the one thing that has really surprised me the most, and we'll have to see how it plays out, you know, you could see the same thing come down um, at Auburn any time now. But from everything that I've been told, um, you know, Austin Wiley's parents talking about the big man at Auburn, um, they're not, you know, in a financially strapped situation. Not at all. Um, and, you know, I think that's where a lot of Vitteroff's coming from, from Auburn France is, you know, with, with, with his eligibility issues is, you know, why would that mother and father, who I think are both, uh, you know, Auburn, you know, I don't know if they both graduated, but they're both former Auburn, you know, people. Um, you know, why would they do what they did and, you know, put their son in jeopardy uh, with his eligibility? But, um, you know, I think it all goes back to, Drew, you know, it's, a, you know, this is something that as long as Mark Emmert wants to stay the head of the NCAA, it's something he's got to address with the, AAU stuff and the summer camps, the shoe contracts. You know, there's even been a ESPN 30 for 30, uh, you know, done on on this with the guy that that started the, uh, you know, the shoe deals for for kids in the eighth grade. You know, Sonny Vaccaro. Yep. Yes. Yes. One of one of the most uh, educational and provocative ESPN 30 for 30s I've ever seen. You know what, what the what the NCAA has to do, and I think they alleviated um, probably a, a small portion of it with football. Um, you know, with the cost of living money that they give out, but you know they, they've got to do the same thing with basketball and realize what's going on with these kids and they're in the seventh and the eighth grade, and they're going to have to pay them. I don't know how you call it. 
whether it's a stipend, uh, cost of living. But when you've got people out there on the street that's giving gear away, shoes away, money away, um, for guys that can be, you know, like a Colin Sexton, you know, one and done. If you don't turn pro um, after high school, but you can go to a college and stay for one year. You know, they did a, a, a ESPN 30 for 30 on this and entitled it you know, for John Calipari, you know, one and done and not done. Um, you know, it's just, it's, it's about economics. And, and, you know, these people are coming from um, an economic background to where, you know, a Colin Sexton, um, you know, is, is the breadwinner for a lot of people. And, you know, there's influencers, there's mentors, there's high school coaches, AAU coaches. You know, it's a mess. And, you know, if Mark Emmerich doesn't want his uh, tenure as the head of the NCAA, you know, to be, you know, looked at as a total failure, I thought he totally mismanaged uh, the Penn State situation with Jerry Sandusky. Um, he botched in his staff, totally botched the Nevin Shapiro uh, case with Miami, uh, the academic fraud that went on at North Carolina. Um, you know, he, he's got a chance to right the ship. I mean, he's been a total disaster from day one. Well, you know, they uh, and AAU basketball's got to be cleaned up. I hope that's what comes out of this. I actually feel sorry for Austin Wiley and Denzel Purefoy. A lot of times, they, there was people, you know, acting on their behalf that shouldn't have been, and it didn't have anything to do with those two young men and. Auburn had a chance to have a really good team. Now I think, you know, that's a lot of that's in jeopardy. You know, Bruce Pearl may lose his job over this, and he's had all kind of NCAA problems already at Tennessee. And I think it's really going to set Auburn basketball back and in a way that is sad. I mean, because it looked like both programs were having a resurgence. I have no love for Auburn. But, uh, you know, Austin Wiley is a, <laughs> a, a uh, you know, Austin Wiley is a great player. I mean, I, I never hid the fact that when I watched him play, I thought he was the best big man this this stage produces, Richard Hendricks. Uh, he's a taller version of Richard. He can be a difference maker. He was on the junior national team. Uh, Purifoy is a nice player, probably a, a guy. I don't know if he's an NBA guy, but I think he was a guy that would have ended up playing overseas. You know, hopefully their situation will get, you know, if they have to serve some sort of suspension like Colin Sexton, that's fine. Hopefully they'll be on the floor at some point. Uh, you, you don't want to see that for those two guys. Uh, but I'm just glad Colin Sex is going to be on the floor. Avery Johnson and his staff did a great job recruiting him. He's going to be fun to watch. You better come out and see him because it's only going to be for this year. Uh, if, he, if he stays healthy and has the kind of year I think he's going to have, he's going to be a top 10 pick, so he'll be gone. So, And Alabama has, you know, they've, they've, they get, they've taken three players in the early signing period. You know, I've got some write-ups up on TiderInsider.com uh, on uh, the three guys. Uh, Jared Butler from Reserve, Louisiana, the 6'2 point guard. Uh, Javion Fleming, the 6'9", 230-pounder out of Canton, Mississippi. And then they just took yesterday Deontay Wood. Uh, he was kind of the wild card. You didn't know if they were going to take him or not, but they did uh, from Aniston Sacred Heart High School in Alabama. So they've taken three guys, which tells you they've got two seniors, Armand Davis, Riley Norris, and then Colin Sexton likely to leave. And then they're going to kind of see where their roster is afterwards. I mean, we'll see. Braxton Key, to me, needs another year after this year at least. I don't think he's going to be ready to go to the league. We'll see if John Petty, who had 14 points the other day, if he's a one-and-done, it is a possibility. So they're going to, you know, kind of – they're going to recruit uh, and continue to, to, to monitor that. And they've also got roster flexibility because you've got Avery Johnson Jr. For his senior season, I mean, they could move him off scholarship. His father could pay his way, and he could open up 
the ability to sign another player. So there's, there, there, there's some flexibility there for Avery Johnson, but I think everybody's looking forward to seeing him take the court against Memphis. They had some trouble with UAH, but I'm close to that program. Lenny Acuff is a fine man, one of the best coaches in this state in college basketball. He's been there 20 years, and they gave Alabama a stern test before Alabama responded. I actually thought it was good that they got punched in the mouth, got down 14-1, to and came back and won 74-65. So, I mean, they didn't play well offensively and still scored 74. Hell, in years past, they would have been in the 40s. So they've got a lot more talent, so I'm looking forward to seeing this team and continue to see them get better. They finally got a big man, I think, in, uh, in Giddens. So Daniel Giddens from Ohio State, who had 17 and 10 and five blocks. He's an NBA talent uh, who sat out from Ohio State. So just looking forward to seeing that and uh, looking forward to seeing this basketball team going forward. But now we're going to go back to football. William, uh, you know, how good can this defense be in your mind going forward with these injuries? Uh, you know, basically, if, if Alabama could find a way to win Saturday in Starkville, you know they're going to beat Mercer. Then you've got the Auburn Tigers in Atlanta. You could, theoretically, by the time Atlanta rolls around or the college football playoffs, should they be fortunate enough to reach for a fourth straight year, get two or three of these guys back. Can they, do you think they have enough left in the tank uh, it, defensively to, uh, to, uh, get, to finish the drill and get back to the playoff? Well, before I answer that question, because you're typically the interviewer on this show, uh, but I, I want to you know, hit the pause button for just a second and get your take on this, because it's really not something that I'm happy about, and I'll, I'll you know, say why if you want me to. But this is this is one more basketball issue that I wanted to get your take on because you're, uh, sure. you know, much more plugged in and much more invested in it than I am. But it bothers me a little bit, and I wanted to get your take on this um, because, you know, this is coming from uh, about as good of a source as I have for Alabama facilities. And I wanted to get your take on the fact that the – uh, thing that we were all told um, about Avery Johnson getting a new basketball facility has now changed. And from what I'm being told, um, they're going to basically blow up the inside of Coleman Coliseum, keep the outer shell, and you know, drill it down to the point to where it's only going to be a 10,000-seat arena on the inside. And I wanted to get your take on um, because you know, I, 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 you know, if that's the case and that's what happens, um, they're going to have to play somewhere for eighteen or twenty, maybe two seasons, um, for that to happen. I wanted to get your take. I don't know if you even know about this or not, but I've been told that's what's going to happen. There's not going to be a brand new facility built. They're going to implode the inside of Coleman, uh, keep the outer shell, and and basically. Uh, renovate the interior and i wanted to get your thoughts on that well and i it's funny you asked that because i actually did know about it <clears throat> you know i was uh, fortunate enough to hear greg burns speak uh at a red elephant club meeting uh and he talked about that because a lot of people want to know what the future holds and they've been looking at a lot of different scenarios and i think they they, they felt like they wanted to leave everything in a central location where it is the malmore facility the baseball facility basketball and I think the reason they're going to go this route is because of how successful the baseball renovation was. Now, the, pro, the product on the field has not been good, and that's up to Brad Bohannon to win. But trust me, when they, when they decided to do what they were doing with baseball, I, I was hoping that they would 
build it on the Bryce property, a new baseball facility. That didn't happen. And so I was a skeptic, William, when they did this with baseball because of what they done 10 years, 10, 11, 12 years ago with basketball and what they did with Mark Godfrey, uh, which and you, you and I have both termed this lipstick on a pig. And that's basically what that was. But baseball, once they finished the renovation, it was completely different. I mean, some of the outside was the same, but not a lot. They changed it. They kept the absolute bare bones and they rebuilt a new facility which most people think now is a top five in college baseball. This is what I believe they're going to do in college, with Coleman Coliseum. I think they're going to do the same thing. I think uh, they'll, they'll keep some of the outside the same, but some of it is going to change, and the, the, the interior is going to be completely different. And I felt like even if they built a new facility, it was going to be a smaller one, like 10,000 seats. This is what they want to do. They want to, build, they want to rebuild Coleman have it go for another 30 or 40 years and put everybody on top of the floor, move, move, move the seats closer to the floor and have everyone clo- uh, you know, right on top of the court and have it a 10,000 seat arena, which is easier to sell out. Uh, and I think, and, and, and hopefully there won't be a bad seat in the house because there are some bad seats right now in Coleman, no doubt about that. You know, so uh, w- if it's handled the way baseball was and with Greg Byrne running this show, and you've already talked about the way Greg Byrne has approached things, I think it's going to be a first class facility and I think Avery Johnson is going to be heavily involved in it. And it'll be – he said something the other day, William, uh, when they beat UAH about uh, admiring Lenny Aka for being at UAH for 20 years and building the program he did. And then he, he laughed and said, I hope I'm at Alabama 20 years. Greg Byrne will decide that. And I think he's really excited for where Greg Byrne's taking this, uh, this basketball facility. And I'm quite frankly, if it's done the way baseball was, I think it could be great. But you're right. It begs the question, where would they play for a season, maybe even two? I would think it would probably be in Birmingham. Maybe it's somewhere like the BJCC. And I know baseball had trouble the year they did that. I mean, the crowds weren't very good. But baseball is an outdoor sport. It's cold. And and quite frankly, plus, they weren't very good. If Alabama's program gets to the point where it's an NCAA contender under Avery Johnson, you can bust the students, some students to each game, and you can definitely draw crowds in Birmingham because that's that's an Alabama-centric place, and I think they could still, you know, have a great environment uh, even at the BJCC for a season or two. But I would be excited if uh, if if it's handled properly, and I just I have a lot of confidence in Greg Byrne. I I think next to Nick Saban coming to Alabama in the last ten years, Greg Byrne was probably the second most significant hire, and third will be uh, Avery Johnson. I, I totally agree. I, I was waiting to see if you said that. Um, and that's why I was asking, because, you know, I'm not a basketball fan. Uh, I'm an Avery Johnson fan. And, you know, I was, I was wanting, you know, were they going to try and put people at Foster? Um, and, you know, I, I can't imagine. They just, that just can't work, because that only holds yeah. about two or 3,000 people. I just don't think that yeah, can't work. Exactly. And, again, if they do it at the BJCC, you know, with, with Birmingham being a, a town of, of 70% Alabama fans, you know, certainly they'll show up. It, it probably would, would increase the attendance. But I just wanted to know, A, if you had heard that was the final plan. Um, it sounds like it's a done deal, uh, much like, uh, um, you know, moving the uh, Bryant Museum um, from where it currently sits to over there by where the Walk of Champions is going to be or where it is, and, you know, combining that with an Alabama Football Hall of Fame and building a brand-new uh, building over there. But, you know, I, the, the, the basketball part of it was, 
uh, the thing that kind of stuck out to me was I was really hoping that, you know, maybe they would play out the last two years because um, there were some plans and, and some, you know, blueprints drawn up um, where they were going to put the new arena between where Coleman is now and the law school. And then, you know, once the new thing was open, you know, they turned Coleman into parking. But I just wanted to get your take on that and see how you thought about it. Yeah, and then one other thing to watch for, though, William, because this has been on the books for a while and it's sorely needed, but as Greg Byrne told us, they've got to raise probably 15 to $20 more million for it is they're going to do something and build a new aquatic center as well. The aquatic center, many people believe, may be handled before they, they delve completely into the basketball situation. So they've got it on the books where they're going to move the natatorium. Well, I don't. I don't know if it's move it. They're going to build a new one. I don't know if it's going to be enhance the the one they have now, or if they're going to build a new one. But I would think they would build it somewhere else and tear that one down. Uh, but again, they just right now they need to raise some more money because of uh, cost of upkeep and some other and some other things that they want to get accomplished. But it, I'm just I'm just saying right now the aquatic center is also on the plans and it's been on there for a while. But I do so, think so you've heard you've heard Greg Burns speak on that. Yes, he spoke on it. Uh, yeah, well, good. Uh, well, yeah. good, because, you know, the reason why I'm, I'm, I'm getting excited about that is, um, you know, I know for a fact for the last two or three years, uh, Nick Saban has had a real estate firm on a consultant basis looking for a piece of land um, to, to, you know, build a, you know, you know, he's in the process right now of building college footballs you know, biggest and the most plush uh, dining hall. Right, um, yes. Anybody that goes to games, you know, on Saturdays, they can see that improvement coming out of the ground, um, you know, coming off of the current Malmore facility. But, you know, I, I've been told by somebody in, in, within the program that, you know, he was looking for a piece of land to build what he wanted the, you know, best college football dormitory to be. And, you know, that's a hard thing to accomplish in Tuscaloosa, um, you know, with, with the limited amount of space. But, you know, if they take that natatorium out of the equation, then all of a sudden you've got uh, the football facility, the, the, the strength and conditioning facility, the indoor facility, and then, you know, a 50-yard walk-off from that last practice field over there on Hackberry, where the natatorium sits right now, if they vacate that property, you know, fill the Olympic pool up with concrete, then Nick Saban could build uh, what his vision has already uh, always been of the college football's most plush dormitory. That That's exciting. Yeah, it is. I mean, uh, and I think more than likely, I think they would build a natatorium elsewhere. So, uh, football could continue to expand, and again, they could keep the baseball, football, track, you know, all those facilities, uh, basketball, uh, side by side and together. And I think that's, you know, what the long-term vision is for the University of Alabama. But uh, to get back to and, and conclude our conversation, uh, we were I was I was asking you earlier about the defense. Do you, uh, where they're heading to Starkville, what you know, can this defense continue to? Uh, to to to, uh, to excel. I mean, it's it's really remarkable that they're down this many starters. They still rank so high in uh, in each uh, statistical category uh, uh, nationally. They're only giving up nine point eight points per game. 
did they have enough to go to Starkville and get the win? What is your thoughts on this matchup with Mississippi State? And then long-term defensively, uh, they, they could get some linebackers back, but this probably won't be until uh, earliest probably Atlanta or the SEC champion, I mean, the SEC championship game and then the playoff. But do you think Alabama and Jeremy Pruitt uh, can continue to put a great product on the field and, and, uh, and then Alabama can, uh, can you know, continue uh, their march toward a uh, fourth straight college football playoff berth? Yeah, I mean, uh, you know, Drew, I think they can. Um, you know, I think as long as number 32 and number 29 are fully healthy and, and available to go um, on a Saturday-to-Saturday basis, I think the defense will be okay. You know, certainly when, when the, the losses at linebacker mount up like they have, um, you know, it's a cause for concern. But I think as long as Rashawn Evans is fully health, uh, health, healthy at linebacker and Minka Fitzpatrick is back there on the back end of the defense, um, you know, take the Mercer game out of the equation. We both know how that's all going to work out. But, you know, going up against, you know, Nick Fitzgerald and the Dan Mullen offense this weekend and, um, you know, Gus Malzahn and and Chip Lindsey against Auburn, um, you know, Jeremy Pruitt is the best defensive coordinator in college football, in my opinion, uh, coming up the schematic reason to slow down uh, dual-threat quarterbacks. Um, you know, he proved it at Florida State when he was on his own. He proved it for two years when he was at Georgia. Um, you know, I thought he did a pretty good job last year um, outside of, of the, uh, you know, Ole Miss game and the Clemson game in the national championship. Um, yeah, I, I think the defense will be okay. Um, you know, I think what, you know, my, my only complaint was, um, this this you know slides back to the the LSU game, um, you know whether it was play calling execution you know I don't know, but my only negative thought about the LSU game last Saturday was when Alabama got the football on their second to the last drive, and they had the chance to put you know the stake in LSU's heart and they were not able to convert on third down. Um, had they had they have done that, I think it would have resulted in either a touchdown or a field goal. You know, three more points, seven more points, you know, whatever. You know, that puts the game out of hand. Um, but I have a lot of confidence in Jeremy Pruitt. Um, you know, basically facing, um, you know, the, the three teams that they have to face you know, on the rest of the reg- regular season schedule in Mississippi State, Mercer, and Auburn. And dialing up defenses that's going to slow those guys down. And uh, I think you'll see them do it Saturday in Starkville. Well, and uh, as we are winding the show down, William, we did have some questions answered against LSU, I think. Uh, Xavion Marks uh, did a good job fielding punts. He didn't have an explosive return, but he had a couple of pretty good ones. He looks to have won the punt returner's job. Uh, and then J.K. Scott had his best game of the year. Uh, quite frankly, I named him the MVP of the game. Uh, 52 yards a punt, nearly on eight punts. Uh, and he has been very invaluable against Mississippi State in the past. And if he's rounding back into form, bodes very well for Alabama down the stretch. I personally don't think this, uh, the, the offensive approach, I agree with you completely, what you your take with Jeremy Pruitt and being able to still defend this offense so well of Mississippi State's. Plus, they're t- 
out, out, including Keith Mixon likely out as well. And if he plays, he won't be nearly 100% uh, with a dinged-up ankle. I like Alabama 31-17 in the game. I think that uh, they'll that Mississippi State may make a big play or two uh, on this Alabama defense. We saw a misalignment lead to a, the only big play for LSU, but I still think Alabama is going to wear down Todd Grantham's defense. In, in historically, uh, Nick Coach Saban's teams have had a lot of success against Todd Grantham. Yeah, they have, and uh, I, I guess you know I've got a little bit different take on the final score. You know, if you stuck a gun to my head and asked me to say what I think it would be. Um, I would say, you know, 34 to 10. Um, I just don't see, you know, with what you just said, um, you know, Fitzgerald has, has been depleted by playmakers being hurt um, surrounding him. Um, you know, then again, you have to go back to last year's game and, you know, with that beat down, you know, with it being what it was. Um, I, you know, I see it more as a, you know, 34 to 10, maybe a 34 to 9 type, you know, outing. Um, now, and I have gotten some, you know, some negative feedback on, on Alabama's practices this week, and they haven't been, you know, sharp and crisp. But, you know, that still being said, um, you know, when they lose guys, you know, on that side of the football, talking about the defense, you know, you're not talking about, uh, you know, a guy like Sean Dion Hamilton and a Mac Wilson, um, you know, getting substituted in with a, a uh, walk-on or a, a two-star player. You know, it's a, it's a five-star guy like Dylan Moses. Um, I, you know, I, I expect to see, you know, Maybe Mississippi State keeps it close for a half, but I expect Alabama to take care of business Saturday and start. Well, great stuff, William, and I agree. I think Alabama is the better football team, and uh, I know uh, we we don't necessarily talk Auburn on this show. This is Bam's radio. I think, uh, but but speaking of that game, because it has a lot of you know uh, impact on where Alabama could be following the weekend. I like Georgia in a really close game, 24-21 on the Plains. You've seen uh, some of both Auburn and Georgia. Uh, I just have to go back to Gus Malzahn's big game record. It's abysmal after the two flukes, and yes, that's what they were, in 2013 against Georgia and uh, Alabama. Uh, what are your thoughts? Do you, do you see Kirby Smart getting it done uh, against uh, Auburn? I do. Um you know, what Kirby really struggled with, at least when he was the defensive coordinator at Alabama, was a true dual-threat quarterback, um, you know, that he faced. And he struggled mightily, um, you know, against guys like Johnny Menzel. Uh, you know, what was the guy's name at Auburn? Or, uh, Nick Marshall, Deshaun Watson. Nick Marshall. Um, you know, he – even against, you know, the national championship game they won versus Sean Watson. Um, you know, what I think is um, uh, the month of October where they were – they struggled. Let's just, you know, put it out there against Alabama last year versus a true freshman quarterback in Jalen Hurts. Uh, Jalen threw for 347 yards last year. And they rushed for over 200 yards. Um, you know, I think that's going to come into play against Georgia this weekend. 
Um, you know, I don't think Georgia's going to be able to, you know, run the football in, you know, wild-ass style like they've done all year. But I think Jake Fromm is a very accurate passer. And, you know, that's the biggest weakness in Auburn's defense is the secondary play. Yep. Um, you know, the only other two games that LSU's quarterback, Danny Etling, has thrown for over 200 yards against was, was against UT Chattanooga and Ole Miss. Uh, but he, he threw for over 200 yards against Auburn. So I think Georgia's going to come out on top. Uh, well, great thoughts, William. And we're on the same wavelength there. But we're going to wrap up this edition of BAMS Radio. Uh, again, it's been great. I mean, there are going to probably be some people that have some heart palpitations because we talked a lot of basketball today. Uh, but uh, <laughs> but Colin Sexton was a big part of the conversation. It's big news that he's going to be in an Alabama uniform on the court this coming Tuesday, November the 14th against Lipscomb. Check out Alabama. They're going to be playing at 530 tomorrow, uh, you know, uh, against Memphis in their season opener. They will be without four guys. They won't be without Colin Sexton and Braxton Key, really two starters. Uh, Riley Norris, who's starter caliber, uh, the senior, and Armand Davis. But it'll be the same lineup we saw against UAH, and they'll be playing against a very solid Memphis team. But check out that game. Uh, follow it either via the television or the radio. They're going to be playing at 5.30 Central Time, and I hope you check that out. And also, the Alabama Crimson Tide, 6 p.m. Uh, on ESPN. They're going to be playing Mississippi State. Uh, can't wait for that game, and we'll, of course, rehash all of this uh, next week on BAMS Radio and look ahead uh, to uh, their game against Mercer, which will be uh, just a, a basically a prerequisite and a warm-up for the Iron Bowl. But uh, we'll see if Alabama by this time next week, has clinched a berth in the SEC championship game. And, of course, that'll mean a clash with uh, the teacher and the student with uh, Kirby Smart. Or will the Iron Bowl come down to a winner-take-all? We will see what's going to happen uh, as uh, Alabama and Auburn both have huge games this week. Uh, Of course, Auburn on the plains against Georgia and Alabama on the road in Starkville, Mississippi. But we hope you've uh, enjoyed BAM's radio tonight. And uh, we hope you uh, enjoyed listening to our program. I want to thank William Barger for joining us. And I want to thank uh, Thomas Watts for being the wizard behind the curtain and producing. Uh, thank you, everybody. And roll tide. And we will talk to you next week. It is Ryan here. And I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.